Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Studios, it's the Press Box Summer Edition. I hate this place. I do. Ed Graney. I'm telling you, I hate it. Tyler Bischoff. I'm in a hostile environment. I am completely unprepared. I'm surrounded by people who probably want to kick my ass. It's like being back in high school. On ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Tuesday. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Some coming from you live. How are you, Tyler? Hello. How, How are, are you guys buddy? this morning? Good. How are you? I'm spectacular. Are you? Uh, do you have a fear of missing out on the trade deadline with the Dodgers not doing much yesterday? They aren't doing anything, man. And maybe they're hiding, <laughs> hiding in the weeds for Juan Soto, and all of a sudden, just like uh, Scherzer last year, they're going to come and come in the end and be the team. I got to oh. look at Bob Nightingale last last year. He had uh, well, member was Bauer, and uh, he had Bauer going to the Mets. And two minutes later, the Dodgers signed him. So maybe that's going to happen with Juan Soto. Not this year, Ed. They're going uh, to the Padres. Oh man. Everyone's going to the Padres. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Uh, the first bite. What was that? <laughs> Long pause. Are the Padres going to win the trade no. deadline? Ed just pointed at me <laughs> after, a long, after us staring at each other for three seconds, Tyler. All right, here's what we got. The Padres <laughs> have already traded for Josh Hader. Uh, they sent away one of their own relievers, uh, one of their own starters, Danielson Lamette, who has had like 37 injuries yeah, in the last stinks. three years, and a couple of prospects. And now, with the trade deadline coming this afternoon, John Heyman tweeted this morning, Padres and Nats are talking about a package of both Juan Soto and Josh Bell. And word is, they are being aggressive. So Josh Bell is the first baseman rental that the Nationals have been trying to trade at the deadline. He is actually uh, has a significantly higher batting average than Juan Soto. Soto's got more power and a better on base percentage. But Josh Bell, very good as well to be thrown into this deal. If the Padres trade for Hayter, Soto, and Bell at the deadline, you worried, Ed? Yes, I'm worried. I'm already worried and haven't traded for anyone but Hayter. What are you, crazy? <laughs> Yes, I'm worried. I think they're they, you know. And here's the thing: it doesn't matter with the extra, the wild card. It this 12 out, I don't even worry about that because it's it's all about getting the playoffs. What you do there, and I'd be worried there because I think with Musgrove and 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 that kind of rotation they have with Darvish, um, I I think they're as good or better. I really do. That's not just saying that, especially if they make this trade. I mean, come on, if they make this trade and they get both those guys, um, very very worried. And As then I should at some be. point they get Tatis back. That's a great. He's he's supposed to take live BP today, and then he's supposed to go on an assignment. So he'll be back. Man, Tatis yeah. and Juan Soto joining that and team. Bell and Bell. They're not going to pull it off. I don't think they pull it off today. You don't. Yeah. What I is also, it? Nine a.m. What is it? Twelve. Twelve o'clock. Will we be on the air? No, no, no. The deadline's at uh, five Eastern, so oh, two o'clock our time. We won't yeah, be on we'll the air be, when it happens. You'll be sweating this out late into, I'll be the, at the, late into the afternoon. My nap is my nap is done. <laughs> oh, you can't take a nap. No, from getting You'll up wake this up early. And Juan Soto will be a Padre. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have the you. alarm on for two oh one and then just click Twitter and hold my breath. Oh man! Well, trades can come in. I mean, trades can. Yeah, be they can come in afterwards. afterwards. They can come yeah. in afterwards. Better make that like two thirty one, <laughs> and then you'll find out this where Juan Soto is. Just Soto's a disaster going. in all forms coming at me. All right, I. 
I'd still be surprised if it happens. And I'd especially be surprised if they package Soto and Josh Bell together because generally speaking, if you're the Nationals, they did that last year with Trey Turner and yeah, they Max Scherzer. Yeah, threw Trey Turner in. You're getting less value than, it, than if you would trade them to two separate teams. Mm-hmm. So they did it last year, and it, I mean, they got, what, the Dodgers' number one and number two prospects, but it was still kind of stupid. Like, at the end of the day, it still wasn't like if they traded them to different teams, they'd probably get more value overall and i think that's what's happening here josh bell doesn't have a ton of trade deadline value because he is a rental so you're only trading for a couple months of josh bell but it still just doesn't make a lot of sense to me for the nationals to trade both of them and honestly it doesn't make a lot of sense for the nationals to trade juan soto unless they just get blown away Mm -hmm. with the package and i don't know the padre is going to blow them away with the package i don't know if they actually are so i'd still be surprised if this happens today, although there is, I guess, the possibility that the Dodgers are just waiting around for the Padres to make their best offer and then swoop in and offer something better. And the Nationals say, oh, thank you. We'll take yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, the Dodgers are always I think the Dodgers, like the Yankees, are always in play. And the Yankees uh, uh, killed me yesterday with Frankie Montez. Oh, I mean, man. just that's the one that's the one guy that was left because I still I told you yesterday, I still think the Dodgers need a starting pitcher. That was the guy that was left that I wanted for them. And then, of course, Twitter tells me the Yankees acquired him. So A's send Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino to the Yankees. Uh, Frankie Montas, best reliever on the market, 3.18 ERA. His ERA is 3.7 for his career. He's a free agent after the 2023 season. So the Yankees, it's not just a rental. The Yankees get him for the rest of this year and next season. And then they get Lou Trevino, who has been awful this year as ERA is over six but generally speaking he's been a slightly above average reliever in his career and Yankees actually get him for two and a half seasons so there's a lot of um, years of control for Lou Trevino there and the A's got the Yank four prospects from the Yankees uh, their fifth 10th 20th and 21st best players in the Yankees farm system I feel like the A's didn't get enough for two guys that are not rentals. I mean, if those were two guys, if one of those guys was just a pure rental, you get them for two months or something, okay. But they traded away guys that would have been on the team yeah. next year, and they only got four prospects, and two of them are ranked 20th and 21st. It just doesn't seem like enough. I mean, doesn't it seem like enough rentals. for the A's? Yeah, for the A's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it, it's, I mean, you should have probably gotten more value. And this goes back to the same thing with the Nationals packaging two MLB players to the same team, I think generally is going to get you a worse return yeah. than if you trade them to separate teams. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. I just, uh, I thought it was enough for the A's. Look, it's the Las Vegas A's. Uh, was, we're going to move these guys no matter what. I just wanted them to go to the Dodgers. And the fact that the Yankees got them, uh, not happy with that because that just makes them better. And we didn't need that. I mean, would you have blinked at all if the Dodgers had traded four of their top 25 prospects for Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino? No, I don't blink at all what the Dodgers do. I really don't. <laughs> I don't. Cause they, I, I mean, think every they, once in a while you I blink think, in anger. I, in anger. I think they have a really deep farm club. I think they do a really good job there. So I wouldn't have. Look at the kid they brought up the, the last two days. He can't stay off base, this kid. Oh, did he get um, more hits yesterday? What was that? Oh, Alpin? sure. Yeah, he get, he's on he, base again. Got another hit. Got hit by a pitch. Got a walk. He can't. They can't. He can't keep this kid Man, off base. This guy. Yeah. Gonna take Max Muncy's job, isn't he? Yeah, Muncy hit a home run last night. Once again, oh. one fifty six. He finally swings and sh- shuts his eyes and swings and hits one. Shuts um, his eyes and swings. <laughs> yeah. Finally got. Finally got a slider he could handle. Um, so, no, I wouldn't here, have been upset. 
Okay. I, I mean, I, I probably I think you win now. Either. You try to yeah. win now. So the Yankees have now added Andrew Benatendi, two relievers. They've got Scotty Frost from the Cubs and Lou Trapino from the A's. And then one of the top two starters that got moved in Frankie Montas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the best record in the American League. I think they're still like a game behind the Dodgers for overall best record. Do you think they've reinforced their status as best team in baseball with those trades? Yeah, I do. I think they have. I mean, they're they're they've got more. Win- I think you're right. It's uh, it's percentage points for the overall best record, but I do think they've established themselves as the best team in baseball with these trades. Um, so, I I wanted Montes bad. I thought you know I, I I wanted that guy bad. So we don't often compare AL team to NL team at the deadline. Right. Normally, it's AL team to AL team. But I do think there is a level of trading for Frankie Montas and keeping him from the Dodgers that might end up being a big deal for the Yankees. Like those two teams potentially are going to be the favorites out of their out of the AL and the NL to beat in the World Series. And keeping Montas away from the Dodgers might end up being a good thing yeah. for the Yankees if they meet in the World Series. And also for this specific question, who's the best team in baseball? If Montas went to the Dodgers yesterday, we're probably sitting here saying, yeah, it's the Dodgers, the best record, and they just add, added another starter. But instead, the Yankees get them, and the Yankees who, by the way, like top three in ERA of starters and bullpen, added three more pitchers at the deadline like they needed to or something. So I, I think they're right there in terms of talent-wise. I think they are number one in terms of who should be the expected best team in baseball the rest of the season. Now, granted, there's still a few more hours until the trade deadline. Once the Padres bring in Juan Soto and Josh Bell, I'm going to have to change to the Padres being the best team in baseball. What did the real best team in baseball do? Oh, uh, they were very active yesterday. The Astros traded for Trey Mancini, Christian Vasquez, and Will Smith. And I will say, I I love the Trey Mancini trade for the Astros. It was a three-team trade. They sent Jose Siri, who is really good defensively, really fast, but strikes out a lot and has a batting average below 200 so far this year. They sent him to Tampa Bay, and they got Trey Mancini back from Baltimore, also involved in that trade. The Tampa Bay Rays sent a prospect to both Houston and Baltimore, and so the the Rays sent out two prospects for a center fielder who's hitting below 200. Not sure what they're doing there. The Astros, though, got Trey Mancini, who's better than Jose Siri, and then swapped prospects. So the Orioles get a prospect from each team. Yeah, so the Orioles get two prospects for Mancini. The Astros get a prospect and Mancini. The Rays get no prospects and just Jose Siri, who, again, he's like the Astros' third best center fielder, has been in AAA for the last, like, month or so. I, I'm blown away at how the Astros put him. Like, that seems too good to be true at this point because they didn't even lose a prospect. Like, they got a prospect in return. It, it blows me away that the Astros were able to pull that off. Terrific trade. I don't know exactly what the Rays are doing. I'm curious to see what exactly they do with Trey Mancini because the Astros have a first baseman in Yuli Gurriel who hasn't been that good this season but is hot at the moment. They could play Trey Mancini in the outfield, but I don't know exactly the health status of Michael Brantley who's been out for over a month now. So I'm curious what they do there. The other trades, uh, they traded Jake Odorizzi, who's a starter for Will Smith. They traded an above-average starter for a below-average reliever. Uh, not the best value, but the Astros have six starters at the moment, and Lance McCullers coming up would be number seven, so it's not really going to hurt them to lose Jake Odorizzi. Uh, the one I'm most curious about, though, is Christian Vasquez, who's the Red Sox catcher. Very Pretty good hitting catcher. The Astros starting catcher, Martin Maldonado, is one of the worst hitting catchers in baseball. 
The Astros gave up two prospects for Vasquez. My concern is that when we get to the postseason, they're going to make Christian Vasquez the backup, and they will have traded two prospects for a guy that gets a couple pinch hit opportunities right. in the postseason. Well, it looked like a good stupid. swap for Maldonado, though. Well, here's the thing. The Astros are not going to not play Martin Maldonado. They love the guy. They love him so much. They like give the Astros have like the best uh, like, they're like number 2 in total ERA or something. And they give all of the credit to Martin Maldonado. Like it's like the pitchers suck, it's just the catcher calling the games or something. And so they they don't care how poorly he hits. He's in the lineup every day. And so he's I'm Bellinger. I'm, right, exactly. Except they're like, "Oh, he's really good at calling games or something like that." And so I'm I'm very concerned that they gave up two prospects and the guy's not even going to play. He's going to pinch hit a couple times right. in the postseason. Now, if we get to the postseason and Christian Vasquez is the starter, has a good postseason, great trade. That's perfectly fine. But I'm worried that they traded for a backup catcher and gave up two prospects, and I'm going to be yelling at Dusty Baker for playing the wrong catcher <laughs> in the postseason. I can see that, too. It'll, be on, all, it'll be on all three televisions. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. I mean, good job making the trade, but now we actually need so you to. You gave up know, some prospects yesterday for all this stuff. Yeah, they, they, their net gain on prospects was minus two. And the Astros have a very bad farm system, so that minus two hurts them most than more than it hurts most teams. But overall, not they didn't give up any of their like high end prospects, so I'm not too concerned with it. Like one of the guys they gave to the Red Sox is like been awesome in double has a, had a breakout season in Double A is killing it. But eh, he might not. He's not actually in the Astros top ten prospect list, so it's kind of okay at the moment until you know. Martin Maldonado starting every game of the postseason. And I'm yelling at Dusty Baker, which, again, is going to happen. No doubt about it. All right. Coming up next, we're going to get the most boring Hall of Fame game ever, aren't we? Ian Rappaport reported this morning that Trevor Lawrence is not expected to play in the Hall of Fame game on Thursday against the Raiders and that the Raiders are expected to do the same and not play many if any starters as well are you glad you're not going to ohio to cover a game of backups uh yeah well <laughs> just going to ohio you could have stopped the sentence right there uh nothing against those out in Ohio. <laughs> well maybe something uh no i don't look i think this time we get a lot of backups i don't know if that follows through the entire uh preseason though because at some point with a new offense and with you know Derek Carr running, he's going to have to play. I don't know if he plays at all this week. If if he does, it's handing off for a series. But they're uh, they're suddenly pretty thin at some spots, uh, starting with linebacker. So yeah, I think they'll be very careful with their starters here. Am I wrong for thinking that uh, Derek Carr plays like one total quarter the entire preseason? One total quarter. I think he plays more than that. Like, are they going to? Are, are I think they he plays have... more than that to see how he runs this offense. I think he plays more so than one total. So you think they'll have a one, at least one preseason game where he like plays until halftime or something? Well, I don't know if that is, or if he he plays you know different quarters in different games. It's usually yeah. the, it's usually the th they play four this year because of the Hall of Fame game, but it's usually the you know the game before the last one, and then the last one nobody plays at all. Who's going to make the team? Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, in this instance, that would be the third one. I think he'd get time there. Um, like I said, if he plays this week, it's handing off three times and getting out of there. Uh, and he might not even do that. Trevor Lawrence isn't going to play. Um, so, 
yeah, I mean, I I think like I said, they're 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 beat up on the defensive line. They're obviously beat up at linebacker. Um, they you know Trayvon Mullen's still out. They're kind of trying to figure out who their corners are. Although Rocky Sin and Anthony Everett missed yesterday, Waller missed again, Chandler Jones missed again. I think you see a ton of backups play a ton of football on Thursday night. Because here, my thought is that so because they have that the last preseason game is the Patriots and they're going right. to do the joint scrimmage beforehand. Yeah. My thought is that that's going to be what Josh McDaniels focuses on the most is those joint practices where they where we're going to see well not going to see but you know we're going to have the Raiders put out their starting offense against the Patriots starting defense for some sort of drill or some sort of simulated yeah the quarterbacks have the red shirts on right and I, I think that's going to be what McDaniels is more focused on than actual preseason games so I I just I don't know I have a feeling that we're not going to see hardly any. Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, that group out there that that McDaniels is going to have enough trust that just through practice and maybe that joint scrimmage, hey, they'll be ready to go for week one uh, against the Chargers and not have to do anything special to to actually play in game. So I'm curious to see. I'm we've talked about this before. I I don't like preseason football and I'm I, I don't like that everybody pretends like, oh, football's back when it's preseason mm-hmm. football. But especially when we have going into games, oh, the starters aren't going to play at all. You're getting four quarters of Jarrett Stidham or worse. Well, it's tough to bet on. <laughs> what we, need Dan- we need Danny here to figure out uh, to figure out the lo- the moving lines exactly. on preseason football. <laughs> don't those joint practices though? Don't they always end in a massive fist fight? Yes, they always end in a fight. They always end in a fight. I don't understand. Like, is that just something like the coaches know it's going to be a fist fight? And so they're just like, well, at least they're getting used to hitting. Yeah. At least they're not hitting their own teammates. Apparently that's the go-to move. I, yes. And they all, they all get excited about it afterwards. Like, yeah, that's the fire we want to see. That's yeah. We want to, we want to see that, uh, um, aggressiveness uh, from our side. Someday, someday we need to like, go to a different radio station, have a joint like session and just get into a massive <laughs> into a punch up fight. and have Q come out afterwards talking to the police. Well, that's yeah, what I was looking those, for. Those, those are my guys. Those are my guys. <laughs> They're in jail and might not make it to the show tomorrow, but that's what we love to see. Uh, so hold on, which if Carr doesn't play, we're going to get Jared Stidham, Stidham and then Nick Mullins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there another quarterback on the roster? Or is it just going to be those two guys? No, you have Chase Garbers. Oh, God. I don't know who that is. Adam. Yeah, I think that you just made up a name. No, I didn't. <laughs> He's a four-stringer. Um, okay. Chase Garbers. Okay, yeah. All right. Can't wait to break down Chase Garbers' fourth quarter performance in the Hall of Fame game oh, against the, I'm on the it. Jags. I, I, I will wait. chart every play. All right. Ed, can you explain to us the tweets over the weekend about Alex Leatherwood looking sad during a press conference? <laughs> I was in the room. He looked downtrodden. Uh, that's the day that he uh, that Thayer Munford took some snaps ahead of him on the second team. Um, the rookie took uh, some snaps in the second team, and uh, Alex Leatherwood was not happy. You could tell, but I don't think he was mad at Munford. I think he was just mad at the situation, and it kind of opened his eyes. And you know, we've said this before: these guys have no loyalty to Alex Leatherwood. They didn't draft him. They weren't the ones who took them in the first round. I don't think they care about any of that stuff, and they're trying to get the best people on the field. So if they think Alex Leatherwood has a lot of improving to do or that he just doesn't have it to you know, be their right tackler, right guard, then they're not going to play him. And, and they won't care either way because they're not going to be the ones ripped for taking him in the first round. 
So he was um he answered all the questions. He you know, he was fine with the media. Answered all the questions. Uh, you know, uh was kind of introspective about everything, you know, talked a lot, but you could tell he was really really down the way he answered them and the next day he was back in there in terms of the second string taking some reps in and out of the first and second string so maybe it was just a one-day thing but there's no question the day we talked to him he was dejected so Thayer Munford was their seventh round pick Mm -hmm. as an offensive lineman and like you said yesterday Alex Leatherwood was back ahead of Thayer Munford uh, on the tackle depth chart at practice according to people that were out there I Maybe I shouldn't overreact to one day, but just the idea that Thayer Munford might be ahead of Alex Leatherwood, that he's getting snaps with the team, like the second team, while Leatherwood's on the third team, is Leatherwood getting cut? Oh, I don't, I don't think they'll cut him. I don't think they'll cut him. Okay, I don't think they'll cut him. But I don't think they. Again, I don't think they. Nor should they. They, they didn't make the draft pick. They didn't take the guy in the first round. So now they're just looking at him, saying, "Is this guy good enough to play for us?" I mean, I mean they that, that's what they him. should. That's what they should be doing. They should just be evaluating him. Like, is this guy good enough to be on our team? They should trade him for a conditional sixth. They could. I mean, if they're gonna, I mean, obvious. The, the joke there is everyone gets traded for it's a conditional, conditional fifth. Six. Yeah, it's like it's worthless. You take this guy. We'll <laughs> maybe throw a fifth in there. So if they cut him, they would still owe seven point eight million against the cap. Uh, and then they would have a $3.9 million cap hit next season as well for Alex Otherwood. So they're probably not going to cut him because no. that's ultimately $11 million over two years with Alex Otherwood. So I guess the question is, they don't have any loyalty to him to, to start him or whatever, but they do actually have some dollar loyalty to keep him on the yes. roster. Yes. If no, they, it, like, yeah. like, let's say it's between him and Thayer Munford. I think it's him. Do you think that would how okay? How much better does Thayer Munford have to be than Alex Otherwood for them to eat that money? A lot better. Yeah, I think a so. A lot too. better. So he's going to be on the roster. I guess the question is, does he does he play at all? Like, I mean, if they get injuries, are they going to put him in? Or if they get injuries, are they going to go sign somebody else and leave him as a backup? I still think. Look, I still think they're. We talked about this. I still think they're going to the waiver wire and bringing bringing someone in. I don't know who it's going to be, but I think they're going to watch the waiver wire very carefully with this offensive line. I don't think they're done with the offensive line, even though everyone's waited all, the whole offseason saying <laughs> you haven't done anything. And what are you doing? The Hall with the of Fame game line? is in two days. I know, but people will start. <laughs> people are going to start getting waived, and I think they're going to bring someone in. I, you know, maybe right now they don't want to pay starters money. So they're not bringing, you know, they're not bringing someone in or not making a deal for someone. But I do think they're going to watch the waiver wire and bring someone in. I don't think this is all they're doing with the offensive line. I, I don't. Can you also tell me who is Lester Cotton? Uh, what a story from him, having get, gotten cut and coming all the way back and having a great camp. Uh, shows you uh, what a guy can do when he puts his mind to it and, and, and works hard to come back. He was there, uh, I think he talked yesterday. Vinny Bonsignore had a story about him in the Review Journal this morning, getting cut and coming all the way back. Um, Derek Carr loves him, said, you can do this. Uh, you know, work hard, and it's a testament to the guy working hard. He's come back. He's had a, re- so, he's had a really good camp, I have to say. He's had a really good camp. I'm not going to say because he got cut, um, you know, this is kind of a reach, and, you know, he shouldn't be playing. I, th- I think he's looked good. Uh, projected to be a starter. Yeah, right moment, guard. Apparently. Um, I, I love the idea, the story, one of the stories that Vinny uh, wrote was that, uh, a quote from Derek Carr, where Derek Carr said that Lester Cotton came to him and, and basically 
asked him what he needed to do to be a starter this year. And A, I think part of the answer was the Raiders to completely ignore adding offensive linemen in the offseason. But I wonder, Lester Cotton comes to Derek Carr and says, hey, what do I need to do to be a starter? Derek Carr, going to give him an answer. Yeah, he's a good teammate and all that. Do you think Derek Carr sat there and said, God, I hope Lester Cotton isn't starting on my offensive <laughs> I don't line know this about year? That. Do you think he went, who are you? <laughs> no, I, I think, no, I think he, he knew oh, who okay. he was. Right. I think, he right. I think he Derek was. Carr knows every player yes. that he's ever played with. I, I yeah. do think he knows that. But I do think he probably sat back and said, man, if Lester Cotton's starting for us, what the hell did we do in the offseason? Like, I can't imagine Carr at any point envision. Lester Cotton was going to be no. starting offense. No, I don't think he did either. But you know, and who did he? Who did he uh, envision? Alex Leatherwood there? I, maybe. I mean, free, he he had the list of free agent offensive yes. linemen penned up at his house. Yes, was he's like, making calls. Get. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's the one making calls. I need to talk to Dave Ziegler right away. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, David Roth joins the show. Back to the press box, summer edition. The Yankees win. Joining us now from Defector is David Roth. Good morning, David. Hey, David. How are you today? You play for me, John Sterling, in the morning. Yes, yes. Before yes. anybody's awake enough to get used to that. Yes. Incredible. Oh, we, we love I mean, you guys, John it's actually Sterling. early where you all are. That's like hearing John Sterling talk before 8 in the morning local time is really very hazardous to one's health. I'm, I'm John, impressed. John Sterling thinking a warning track flyout is a no-doubt home run is what gets us through the mornings. He's the greatest. I mean, I'm assuming that you all are, are familiar with the home run calls and the little, like, the references to, like, 1938 Broadway musicals that he comes up with for, like, whenever Kyle Higashioka gets a hold of one. He's amazing. There's nobody like that. Like, when he dies, there will be nobody that would even begin to understand John Sterling's <laughs> thoughts. And I feel like that's been the case for, like, 10 years. Uh, do you have any sort of fear of missing out that the Mets haven't done any or didn't do anything yesterday? Yeah, a little bit. I The thing that really made me nervous this morning was finding out that, uh, and this is something that I just, just found out, that it seemed like the Mets were negotiating with the Cubs and no other team was really in the mix anymore for uh, Wilson Contreras and, and maybe David Robertson, too. And today, uh, the news broke that the Rays are also in on it, so I'm like, oh, fine, so they're not getting anybody. Great, terrific. Like, just go ahead and let the <laughs> Rays somehow wind up getting, like, three really good prospects from the Cubs in that deal, too. <laughs> I'm not too worried about it. I've been trying to sort of – they're really good. The Mets are on, like, a 103-win pace. This is less stressed out than I've been about them. And yet, it's still sort of hard to – it's one thing to know that, and then it's another thing to be like, I just trust Billy Epler. Like, do I trust Billy Epler? Is that, like, a reasonable thing for me to do? Like, they got most of their major league-level moves right in the offseason. It seems like they had a really good draft. I am a little nervous that they are going to kind of mess it and, like, just trust that they've done enough. Because they're better, but I don't think that they've done quite enough yet. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it remains to be seen. It seems like there's so much that's going to happen before the deadline is out. Like, just seeing the lists of the names that are in the mix for any – possible Juan Soto package. It's going to just like some organization is going to upend itself and get much, much better. And it could be one of three teams, as far as I can tell, like they all seem about equal in terms of what they're offering and what their chances are. Do you trust Jacob deGrom? <laughs> I trust him against whatever that Nats lineup is going to look like <laughs> when the game starts tonight. 
mean, from what I've seen, it's like the package apparently that the Nats are trying to do now is like Josh Bell and Juan Soto, which means that I mean, DeGrom is going to face a bunch of guys in Nats uniforms. If it doesn't have those two guys on the team, like, honestly, some of the people that might appear in that game are, like, getting ready to go to work in Washington, D.C. at an office job right now. <laughs> and then at, like, 5 p.m., they're going to get a call from, like, somebody in their family, and they're going to be like, do you know how to play third base? This is important. And then, you know, the next thing you know, <laughs> they're going to be getting mowed down. I, I believe in DeGrom because he says he's healthy and because, you know, the pitches were moving as fast and as much as you want. I am very wary as a Mets fan. They always try to do this when an injured player comes back around this time of year and they start floating the message that, like, you know, if you think about it, like Jacob DeGrom's the biggest trade deadline acquisition in baseball. <laughs> and it's like, that's sort of true. But also, you didn't acquire him. It just took you a really long time to get him to rehabilitate an injury that no one seems to understand still. So, like, yeah, it just makes you feel like, uh, like when, like, an old uncle tries to, like, pull a quarter from behind your ear when you're a kid, and you're like, no, that doesn't work, man. I know where that quarter came from. <laughs> like, I'm 40 years old, and that's been trying to do this thing for me for a really long time. I think I, I know what a trade de- deadline acquisition looks like. Is the trade deadline the only thing that baseball does better than every other sport in the U.S.? <laughs> I mean, I think so. The It seems like... The NBA has like that sort of free agent frenzy period. NFL has a little bit of that too, and that's fun, but it's too much to me. Like the deadline that they've been really like you're getting a little bit of a deal every day. Like there's enough like drip of rumors and stuff that I think that yeah, like they've really sort of figured this out. I thought that um, getting rid of that second deadline, the waiver deadline. Initially, I thought it would be much more difficult for teams to adapt to. But it seems like the you know, last couple of years, the deadlines really have been pretty fun. Like, a lot of stuff has happened. My, the way that they used to use the, the second waiver deadline would be, like, teams would make some moves now. And then, you know, like, if they were still in it, they would make the sort of marginal moves that, like, for instance, that the Mets have made uh, leading up to this, you know, where they're getting, like, platoon bats and, you know, like, sort of, scratch-and-win relief pitcher-type options. But teams are like, it seems like they're just making both types of moves now. So, I, you know, my fear that teams would get conservative about it and that they wouldn't be, like, swapping guys willy-nilly, like, no, this is, like, guys are moving. That That is for sure working. All right, so Deshaun Watson gets six games, no fine. Uh, if you're Roger Goodell, do you appeal to yourself? <laughs> I really wonder... Like, how they're going to justify that. I mean, the answer is always just going to be like, you know, like, respect the process, like a judge wrote this decision or whatever. Uh, I kind of feel like they're going to get criticized enough for this, that there's, like, some sense that, I mean, because that's all they really respond to. It certainly seems to be the only thing that drives any of this decision-making. Like, it's obviously it's apples and oranges. A million people have made this point. The idea of, like, Calvin Ridley getting suspended for a whole season and Deshaun Watson getting six games for this is the sort of thing that I don't even think that the NFL decision makers could justify it, like because they don't have to and because they never really do anything like that beyond being like our ruling has been reached and banging a gavel. Like it doesn't mean anything. The gavel is like you bought that at a store. You know what I mean? Like this is all their choice. It feels believe- off to me. 
Do you believe the NFL wants Deshaun Watson suspended for a year, or do you believe the NFL simply wants us to think they wanted him suspended for a year? I think it's more the latter. Uh, I think it's the sort of thing where the... So the suspension that I was expecting was like eight games. And the difference between eight and six is significant, but not that significant. The fact that I thought it was going to be eight games was basically because I was thinking, like, what is the minimum number that they could come up with that they think people wouldn't yell at them about? And there's not a, you know, there isn't a hard and fast standard for any of this stuff. And, like, because of the fact that this is, like, not gonna there's not gonna be any sort of criminal consequences for Watson. They are basically, you know, making up their own rules and then going by them, which is like what they do most of the time. There's just something to me about the idea it, Diana Moskovitz wrote about this for our website this morning, that when your decision making seems to be driven entirely by PR concerns, like it would be a miracle if you got it right. Because you're doing the same thing that sort of that politicians do, which is like try to figure out like what is the least you can do that will like not offend the maximum number of people. And that's just like that is a loser way of approaching any problem. Like you just can't get it right because you're scared starting out. And also, you know, not for nothing, like more importantly, it's not coming from a place of like having any ideals or values or beliefs. You know, it's totally a calculation. And so, yeah, I mean, that's what the NFL wanted. I think, like, if they, like, I don't think they care very much about any of this. I think they probably found it embarrassing. There's probably some level at which they find it objectionable. But, like, no, they're not. I mean, you have to remember who is in charge here. And Goodell is not nearly, I think, as much of a snick as, like, Rob Manfred is. I just think he's kind of, like, checked out in the way that NFL owners are checked out, like, morally checked out. Doesn't that, isn't that the most frustrating part where it doesn't seem like there's any precedent? It's kind of willy nilly, and they go to each one, and and they don't look back. I mean, the, you know, and there was some criminal uh, uh, tones to Roethlisberger and Zeke Elliott, but they only it was a one a one person um, accusation, and this guy had thirty. Um, it just it just seems like there's no precedent taken. They just go from one one series or one one situation to the next, and they don't look back at all of what happened elsewhere. Absolutely, I mean that's the part of it that I think that is what makes it possible for this to somehow always be worse and always be wrong. Because this is, like, if it's just, if you're rolling, like, some Dungeons & Dragons dice and some number comes up and you're like, that's how many games are going to be suspended, they would have gotten it right. They would have come up with a number that people were satisfied with once. But because of the fact that it's, like you said, it's always in isolation, it's always, like, pegged to the circumstances in terms of, like, where the national mood is, where you know what they think they can get away with, who the person is that they're suspending and what team they're on. Because all of that is so obviously a part of the decision-making process, even if they accidentally landed on the right number, it would still be hard to credit it as the result of a process that makes sense. You know, So it's always going to feel wrong. And that, like, obviously, you know, it works in the sense that, like, the NFL makes a lot of money I don't get the sense that there's like a crisis in the league the way that I sort of feel like there is in Major League Baseball, like at a like a low simmer. And yet, like it sure isn't satisfying. Like as a fan, it's just sort of gross to constantly be reminded that like this is the organization that you care about so much. And yet, like it still hasn't stopped me from caring about it. So I don't know what that says about me. I do love the idea of Roger Goodell rolling a twenty-sided die to figure out how long he's going to suspend players. 
Yeah, right. Like, my elf suspends your mage for the game against the Dolphins. <laughs> that honestly is that, like, less embarrassing than what we're doing here, which is like paying some law firm a million dollars to produce a report that is like so long that no reporter will read it. <laughs> it doesn't seem. I guess whatever, whatever you want to spend your million dollars on, I it, like. I could probably come up with better ways to spend it, but I'm not Roger Goodell. Well, he is David Roth from Defector. <laughs> David, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, David. Appreciate, appreciate you guys. Thanks. Take care. So there is David Roth on the Major League Baseball trade deadline and Sean Watson. All right, we got tickets to give away. Two tickets to Seven O Brew Oktoberfest four day festival starting September 29th running through October 2nd at the Orleans 7-0 Brew Oktoberfest. We got two tickets for you. You could buy tickets right now online, and it's buy one, get one free this week if you use code BEER22 at orleansarena.com. But you could just win two for free right now. 7-0 Brew Oktoberfest, four-day festival in or at the Orleans. 702-364-1100. Call that number now. Be caller number 6 702 702- Three six four eleven hundred. You'll win a pair of tickets to Seven O Brew. This ball is driven deep to right field. It is way back, and it is gone. Have a night, Jaron Duran. Two-run bomb. Swinging a ground ball to short. Bogarts waits. He gloves. Steps to first. Throws in time. Ball game over. All of the sun, none of the fun. On the press box summer edition. Congratulations to Steven, who won tickets to 7-0 Brew Oktoberfest. He apparently also told Jared that the Dodgers are going to trade Cody Bellinger and prospects for Juan Soto. Uh, Doesn't sound like enough for Juan Soto. Mookie to center, Soto to right. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm the Nationals, I want someone like Gavin Lux. He's having a breakout year. And a bunch of prospects. They'll probably need to give up like their one and two prospects for him, if not more. Um, but breakout year, hitting almost 300. Good good, good uh, infielder. Um, I want more him more than a guy who's hitting 206, and you don't know if his swing's going to come back. As good as he is in center field, and, you know, Bellinger's goal is love in center field. He's terrific in center field. I'd want, I'd want more. If I'm asking for a player, I'd want Gavin Lux. How about a player like Trey Turner? The Nationals could really use a Trey Turner. <laughs> How can that happen when he's about to sign an extension? All right, what's your what's your lineup if they traded for Juan Soto? <sighs> it's tough. Is it? I mean, M- <laughs> Mookie, Mookie Turner. <sighs> Do you go Freddie Soto? Do you go Soto right. as your cleanup? Um, I mean, those top three have been so good. I don't know if you break them up. I know it's Juan Soto, but maybe you have Soto back cleanup because right now it's Will Smith. Will Smith's really good. You knock him down to five. I mean, that, that lineup just becomes so much better throughout with him at the four spot. So, yeah, I don't know if I'd break up those top three. They've been they've been absolutely terrific. Um, so I put Juan Soto as the as the, um, as the cleanup hitter. Okay, look at you. Not Where would happen. you put him? Uh, I'd put him second. Oh, you, you'd move Turner out? Yeah, his number one quality is walking. So I want him hit. I want him in front of Freddie Freeman. That way, Freddie Freeman then drives him in. Yeah. That's the game plan there. Uh, Where is he going to fit in the Padres lineup? <laughs> probably third who's who hits third manny you can you can move manny out of there manny since the ankle injury he's only hitting like 210 he hasn't hit i mean he's still it shows you where manny how good manny was before the ankle injury because he still leads him in almost every category but since the ankle injury he's hitting like low 200s 
and he still leads him in everything. So he was having a great year before that happened to him, but you can move him out of the third spot for Juan Soto. Uh, I don't know exactly what they would do, but it is possible if the if the Padres actually pulled off the trade with the Nationals for Soto and Josh Bell, it's possible the top three hitters in their lineup uh, for like their first playoff game will have not been on the team until today or not in the roster until today. So the because, Braves. Yeah, so because like Soto's going to hit in the top three. Tatis mm-hmm. is going to hit in the top mm-hmm. three. Maybe you'd hit Machado ahead of Josh Bell, but it's possible they would go like Tatis, Soto, Josh Bell for their one, two, three if they traded. And then Machado? Yeah, and then hit Manny Machado and then like Cronenworth, Cronenworth. and Will Myers. and Profar. Yeah, like they're, you know, good lineup. Not, not on, they, they don't have quite as much depth as the Dodgers, but that top four or five would be spectacular if they added Juan Soto and Josh Bell. You're killing <laughs> Plus, Tatis is coming back. How are they? How that's are they another good? thing about them. Yeah, that's another thing about them. They've been really good all year. And people forget who's not in the lineup and where he is. Like, it's amazing that they've been able to do what they've been able to do without him, and now he's coming back. This was this was their batting order yesterday. Jerks and Profar, Manny Machado, Jake Cronenworth, Luke Voigt, Will Myers, Nomar Mazzara, Hassan Kim, Austin Nola, Trent Grisham. That's not that good of a lineup. It's not bad. Like, it's a, it's a playoff it's a, team it's, lineup, it's, yeah. but that's not a World Series contending lineup. No, but it, it's going to become one really quick if they make this deal and Tatis comes back. It's going to be it's going to become maybe the favorites to win the World Series if they get Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Oh, you're not going to be able to handle this, are you? God, no. I need this to happen. I don't. No. I don't know if do we, Jared. Do we want the Padres to trade for Soto while we're on air, or do we want it to happen after we're off the air so we can plan the whole show around it tomorrow? Ooh. Yeah, because then I could I could do production. I could get uh, <laughs> our voice guy to be like, "Congratulations to the San Diego Padres." On their, okay, on their I, hope it, I hope it happens in our last break before our our last segment. That way, we get you know five minutes of Ed. Just well, Ed will probably leave if it happens then. Yes, and, I'll back up. Hello, <laughs> hello, and uh, and then we can do the full breakdown for tomorrow. That's I think the ideal timing. To get the live reaction at the end of the show, you know, and I'm, then do a full day tomorrow. You know, I'm just refreshing Twitter every second. <laughs> oh yeah, I've got I, mean, I got, I got MLB Network on my TV, and what's great is they just keep putting tweets up on the side of of anything that's happening. Like the Twins just traded for the Orioles yeah, closer, for the closer, and, and gave up four players for him. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know how many years of control they have, but that seemed like a lot for a reliever. But all right, go for it, Twins. I guess so you're in a bad division. You can win that. I keep a, I, I keep refreshing. I I, I know it's going to hurt. I, I know I'm going to see Bob Nightingale breaking news here in a second. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And, then, and then you're not going to know if it's accurate? Well, and then I'm going to say, if it says Padres, I'm going to say, yeah, Dodgers got him. Oh, man. Listen to you. Listen to you. What are you going to – what happens when you get the actual tweet from the Padres of Juan oh, Soto in a Photoshop jersey? Depressing. <laughs> is what it is. Who do you think gets him? Are you you're saying nobody gets him? I don't think he gets traded. I think Juan Soto stays put. Maybe the Padres end up with Josh Bell. Although I did see, uh, was it John Heyman tweeted that the Padres their backup plan might be Wilson Contreras, the Cubs catcher. Uh, so maybe they get Josh Bell and Wilson Contreras instead. Who's of your Soto. catcher? That a Faro guy? Uh, yesterday it was Austin Nola. Uh, oh, the day man. before it was Jorge Alfaro. So Contreras, one of the best hitting catchers in the sport. So that'd be fun. How about they get him and Soto? How about you shut up? <laughs>